Hey everyone, and welcome to the Living Movies Podcast, brought to you in part by Water and Shade Media. I'm your host, John Schindel, and this week I'm joined by Jared Bateman to talk about the movie Finding Nemo. First of all, I found him. Are you sure? So I won. <laughs> it's like Lord Waldo, right? I didn't realize it was a it was a race. <laughs> well, I guess I lost. <laughs> when when I finished watching it, my wife came in and she was like, "So, uh, did you find him?" <laughs> all right. Apparently, your wife and I have a similar sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> it's all right. I I laughed and groaned to both of you great <laughs> so the last couple of movies that we've reviewed we've we've done let's see we did so far we did onward and toy story and monsters inc and a bug's life and none of those movies i've watched with my children but this one i did this one was actually we watched this one a while ago with my kids and we'll get into uh some of the some of the scary things about this movie later, but my kids have watched this movie. And so I did get to actually sit down with them a couple days ago and rewatch it to, you know, prepare for this show and do my research. And so I watched it with the kids and they loved the movie as much as I remember loving it when I was a kid. So that happened. Uh, Jared, do you remember watching this one as a kid yourself? It's going to sound really weird, but like, I feel like when I watched it, I was maybe in high school or something, but looking back on the years, I'm like, mm, that doesn't line up. <laughs> when did this movie get released? But I do remember enjoying it. Okay. It was released in 03. I graduated in 04 from high school. So you're not, you're a couple years younger than me, but. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. A couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know wow. why I, I picture myself like that watching this movie. I don't know why that's my association. But um, we watched it, obviously we watched it with Felix, who uh, enjoyed it as much as he can enjoy these kind of movies. <laughs> but it's a really good family film. I think just overall thoughts are that Pixar really did a good job of making this a film that was really enjoyable for the whole family. It wasn't um, you know, chock full of snide references and kind of the the inside humor that that tends to get to your adult audience it, it but it also dealt with more complex emotional concepts that kind of keep everyone interested in what's going on yeah allow people to connect at a different level um, so i think in that way it's a really good just overall a very good movie yeah, I remember when I was younger watching this movie, I definitely identified with different characters than I do now. And I think we talked about that with it was either a Bugs Life or Toy Story, where time has just changed the way that I I approach this movie. I really I really my my heart was was wrenched when uh when Marlon's wife and children were eaten by a barracuda. And then when he realizes that Nemo is left and he has this child. And, and then when Nemo gets, he, he gets lost. I, I mean, my, my heart was, it was falling out of me. It, it, it was so emotional just to see this father lose his child, his only child. And I don't remember feeling that when I was younger, you know, there's the, Oh no, he lost Nemo, so sad. But but no, it, watching it this time, there was a there was a true emotional, visceral reaction of no, his child. He lost his child, and so I was definitely very invested in in Marlin's story this time, much more than I think I've ever been watching this movie. Yeah, no, and that's what I really enjoyed about this kind of time looking at it with a more critical eye was just how evocative it was emotionally and I remember that it was that way as a kid but different like you don't get all the layers to it like you're like yeah it's sad when it's sad and it's happy when it's happy and it's annoying when it's annoying 
but it's all kind of surface level stuff. And then kind of rewatching it, it kind of has this different impact. And now it makes sense why the characters do things. Yeah, that was something I noticed as well. And it, and we'll talk about this a bit later, but this movie doesn't really have a, a, a bad guy per se. There's no real antagonist outside of, I guess the dentist, but other than him, there's no real bad guy. There's just obstacles that have to be surpassed. Yeah, I, I'd say it's this film kind of reminded me in a lot of ways of like <laughs> it's going to kind of come across weird, but like a cross between like Bambi and Toy Story. Um, okay, where you know, kind of a surface level kind of lesson behind all, like all the Toy Story movies is like take care of things, you know, be a responsible person. But whereas in Toy Story, like humans, people, the owners are the good guys, um, you know, maybe near like, nearly like gods. Um, here, it's like completely the opposite. Humans are generally the antagonists. Mm-hmm. Most of the bad things that happen are because of people. Um, you know, there's the the initial bad act, which is because of a barracuda that, that comes in and eats everybody. Um, but throughout the movie, m- most of the bad things that happens happen by people. And people aren't necessarily trying to do bad things. And so it doesn't have quite the same kind of connotation that it had in like, you know, Bambi or something like that. Um, but bad things still happen because of them. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, be it the fact that that Nemo's caught by a fisherman or, you know, the submarine was left out there and there's an underwater minefield that explodes. Well, that was placed there by people. Yeah. Or the the fish at the very end are getting are getting fished. They're getting caught. Wow. Uh, They're getting netted and they have to fight against the fishermen. Yeah, no, you're right. That's an interesting switch. Now, there there are also fish bad guys. There's the deep sea fish with the little light bulb. And there's the sharks that kind of go both ways. Right. Um, and it, it is a little fuzzy. It's, it's why I, I don't disagree with you that there is no bad guy. There's no specific antagonist. Um, when we, we were introduced to the dentist, um, he says he found Nemo. I was swimming out in the open and he was injured and and he caught him and saved him, right? So in his eyes, he's given Nemo a new lease on life because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. So obviously he was hurt and look at his fin. Right. But the end result was that he almost died. <laughs> well, that's um, true. So again, it's not that humans are portrayed as evil. Um, they're just the most frequent, the most consistent foil Right. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the characters in this movie. Uh, we talked before about how there's no antagonist or, or real like bad guy antagonist to this movie. And much, much like Monsters, Inc., which we talked about, the the reason the movie drives forward is because of the characters and their conflicting viewpoints in life. This movie seems to just drive forward, not because the characters have conflicting viewpoints on life, but Marlin's on a mission to save his son Nemo. And so it's it's a very easy linear story, but it is also very character driven. So so Marlin is Nemo's dad. I guess he seems to be he, he seems to be scared of a lot of things and he just wants to keep Nemo safe. He's like the epitome of a helicopter parent. Yes. Which I, I think was absolutely a thing in the early 2000s i'd say and this isn't gonna be like completely anecdotal here um, but i'd say that was definitely when helicopter parenting was really (laughs) taking off um oh gosh but it, it was really i think the early 2000s really had just so much of that just kind of constantly keeping tabs on your kids and not letting them do anything and and, and making sure that you're always watching them and making sure that nothing bad ever happens. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's when that trend kind of started. And, and it hasn't gone anywhere. There's a lot of parents who still do that. 
Yeah. But I think the popularity has decreased. I think it's, I think it's a cultural thing, but I think it's also a generational thing as well. I think people who were raised by helicopter parents are probably less likely to become some themselves. I can see that. That's just an anecdotal thought. I don't have any data to back that up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sidebar. Yeah. So that's Marlin. Uh, Nemo is the the uh, smothered helicopter child. Uh, his most notable thing is he has a stubby fin. That's That's about it so far as I can tell. And then there's Dory who becomes Martin's sidekick. Uh, I was trying to think of ways to describe her other than just the typical, well, she's forgetful. Uh, she's, she's very trusting. She's very gutsy. She is super forgetful, but she has a gut instinct that, that comes up a couple times in this movie that, that Marlon, Marlon tried to call him Martin there. Marlon needs to, recognize that he needs to trust somebody else and it's a real juxtaposition of kind of like a cynist and an optimist yeah i was just (laughs) i remember watching the movie and being like wow dory has so much plot armor yes all the bad things that happen go just the right way (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of the lesson that you learn along the way with dory yeah so I, I don't know. Let's let's dive into that a bit, because so so Dory, we learn uh, later in the movie, she she talks to Marlin about how she has been remembering more things and she's learning that she can read and talk to whales and do all these cool things. And then Marlin leaves and she just she loses it and she's a basket case. And so there's there's something interesting going on with Dory, I think, and I'm not quite sure what it is or or if I can put my finger on it, but she's a really interesting, she's a really interesting character, I think. Yeah, it's a character that just kind of makes you think like, huh, what about that? I mean, it's it's played to absurdity of her forgetting things. Um, and I, I think it's kind of that whole trope of goldfish only have a two minute memory, right? That's true. Um, and so she can't remember something that happened 20 seconds ago. And, uh, it's played for laughs and it is played to absurdity, but it kind of makes you think like, huh, what if, you know, there was somebody like that who's just forgetting things all the time. You just literally can't put anything into permanent memory. I just thought of this. It reminds me a lot of the Adam Sandler movie, 51st States with him and, uh, Oh, I lost the gal's name who plays the, the character. But, uh, so Adam Sandler plays a guy who falls in love with a girl who, who has a memory loss, thing where she she doesn't remember anything before a certain date in time mm-hmm. and so every day she just relives that day it's, it's kind of like groundhog's day but but in reverse where she's the only one reliving the same day and everybody else has moved past and that's another interesting thought on what it would be like to have literally no short-term memory all except dory is hyper aware of the fact that she has no or she, she does have memory loss and she just can't remember things. Right. Because she sees other people around her that do remember things. Yeah. And so she knows that she's the odd one out. Which is why when, at the, you know, towards the end when Marlon leaves her, it's so tragic. Because you know, she loses any kind of anchor she has in just reality. Yeah. But she's, one of the things that kind of struck me this time, I remember just being annoyed by Dory <laughs> the first time watching it. Uh-huh. She's just this kind of like overly cheerful, just kind of, again, exaggerated kind of character. Um, but one of the things that kind of struck me the second time around is just how much faith she has in things going the right way. Yeah. In just taking chances. Like, yeah, sure, maybe this thing kills you, but... Uh, you're not getting anywhere by not doing anything. So you might as well do the thing that might kill you because it might work out. Okay. So you have to do something. Right. And I think that's yeah. kind of a, a type of a faith and a type of kind of call to action that I think is really good, especially for people who are, you know, overly critical, who, who are overly analytic about things. Sometimes you just have to make a leap of faith in life 
you just have to kind of say, all right, I'm just stepping out and trying it because trying something that might be terrible is better than just doing nothing. Yeah, no, it's very true. And, and I know I can get stuck in, in that habit where, where I don't want to do anything new. I find my routine and I, I just don't want to do anything different, but you're right. Sometimes you do have to just go try something new or else your life doesn't go anywhere or do anything. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't put that together. An interesting thing I I thought about this is that Marlon realizes that at some point he needs to start listening to Dory's optimism, just like you're saying, that he has to be able to trust in something. And and I, I do find it interesting that, you know, they're they're in the whale at the very end and and she convinces him to let go because, hey, it, it will be OK. And it it is, and they they figure it out, and they get there, and and he kind of has that that moment of realization that no, no, it it is it is okay to put yourself out there and to to not know what's going to happen, that something bad might happen, and you just have to live with the results. Yeah, and that's really who we see change in this movie is Marlon. The other characters are more or less the same as far as their character at the beginning and at the end. Um, You know, Dory's still a perpetual optimist who can't always remember things. Um, Nemo's still outgoing and adventurous and loves making friends. Yeah. Marlin is the one who we see grow. He does. And yet he still remains true to himself because he's still relatively frightened and he wants everyone to be safe around him. But he does grow. You're right. Yeah. And he knows he has good ways of dealing with life. Yeah. Well, he's still alive. Right. And he can deal (laughs) with life without just not caring about people. (laughs) He still obviously cares and he's still invested, but he can just deal with life. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. All right. So let's talk about some, some of the ideas presented here. So... Some of the things that I pulled out here is that, that you know, ideas that this movie is trying to teach or instill in the viewer, one of them is that you have to be able to put your trust in something or someone other than yourself. Because there comes a time in your life where you can't trust someone or you can't trust yourself because you just don't know the answer. So you have to be able to trust someone. And and we've been talking about that with... with uh, uh, Marlin in that he needed to learn to trust Dory when she had a gut instinct. So that's, that was one of the lessons I thought was, or one of the ideas presented that was of value. And I think that's a really important thing to emphasize because it means not being selfish and not being self-absorbed. Yeah. Because, you know, Marlin's thing is he's so concerned about doing the wrong thing what he thinks is is going to be a bad outcomer that he fails to take into account what other people are doing like dory and so what he has to do is he has to step past himself in order to trust other people that it's not just a oh well i believe you it's it's a whole you know change in your thinking to not be so self-absorbed yeah no it's true so the second idea I've had, I have here, and, and this one, I'm not sure if this is necessarily what the movie is trying to preach, but, but it's that family is a good thing and it's worth fighting for and it's worth, it's worth struggling for. That's definitely like the default assumption of the movie. It's just like, yeah, yeah family's good. Like that's what you want to have is a family. And more than just like blood related family, but Dory says it later on. It's that when she's with Marlon, she feels like she's at home. So, so family isn't necessarily just the people that you're related to. It can also be the people that you're close to or the people that you struggle with and experience life with. Those people can also be a part of your family. Yeah. And it's just like such a default underlying assumption of the movie as a whole. It's just like, well, yeah, of course you would like, fight for your family of course family's important like that's the important thing in the movie that's the default assumption 
and then all these other things layer on top of it. So your family's important. Why? And what do you do about that? Yeah. Something interesting I thought as I was reading through the Wikipedia for this movie is that originally they had a storyline for Gil where uh, Gil, who is the, the kind of ringleader of the fish in the aquarium where Nemo finds himself, where Gil was telling Nemo about his family and how he came from a place that was like the Midnight Bay or something, and he had five brothers and sisters, and he was the youngest, and so that's why he tries to be da-da-da-da-da. And then later on, Nemo hears a mother reading to a child from a book, and he hears that whole storyline from the book and realizes that Gil is lying about his family so that Nemo will like him better or something. And I know it didn't make the final cut, but it was an interesting thing, I thought, that they were trying to stick that in there where where Gil is trying to have a family because he knows that it's important and knows it's important to Nemo, and he's willing to lie about it. I can see why they cut it, but I can also see that's an interesting thought. Yeah. I mean, it it, it, it was a good decision to cut it. It doesn't really fit in the movie, but no. but I don't know. It it kind of... it it kind of just continues poking at that whole idea that no family's good family's good and they're valuable. Uh, so the next, the next thought that I had was that uh, there's this thought of, you know, Nemo is, he has a, he has a gimpy fin and therefore he needs to be taken care of and he needs to be coddled. But there's this idea that just because you have limitations, that doesn't mean you can't do things. And, and that kind of also I guess flows into the idea that you have value as a person in his case of fish, but you have value just because you are a person, no matter what your, your physical limitations or mental limitations or whatever, whatever that may be, you have worth because you are you and, and you can do things because you are you, you might not be able to do them the same way as everybody else, but you have value. And I think that's an important idea for children is that is that you as an individual have value even outside of all of, you know, what what city do you live in and who's your family and and what do you do outside of all of those external things. The internal of I have value because I am me, I, I think this movie tries to tries to preach that point a little bit and it does it in a pretty good way it's it's not ham-fisted about it yeah i think a lot of movies when they're trying to make a point can be far from subtle and the way everybody treats nemo by and large is that he's just like them like the only person who really makes a big deal about his Finn thing is his dad. Um, everybody else is just like, well, can you, you know, can you keep up? All right, you're good. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's so nonplussed, you know, like when he gets dropped in the fish tank, it's like, oh yeah, look, he's got a gimpy fin. Well, can he swim? All right, he can swim. Good enough. You know, and uh, the kids that he meets up with in the school, you know, they, they comment on it and then they go off and they do other things, which is just so like kids Yep. Um, to just not dwell on things that we would dwell on. Yeah. And so the movie does, I think, a really good job by not really dwelling on, oh, he's a disabled fish. Um, that it's just kind of, yeah, it's there. It's, it's part of the story, but it's very much kind of background. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to deal with that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so those were the ideas that I pulled out. Did uh, did anything jump out at you? Yeah, this is something that I think goes off of some of the other things that you had mentioned is really that, you know, kind of going along with that idea of putting your trust in others is the whole idea of inaction is bad. And hmm. there's this kind of short conversation between Dory and Marlin where he says, yeah, I was trying to keep anything from happening to Nemo. And she's like, well, you know, you can't have anything happen because then like nothing happens. And, you know, she kind of says it in this kind of doofy way. Um, 
but you kind of the point that is being made is that you can't have nothing happen. Um, that inaction is bad because that means life just happens to you. And so the whole idea is you just have to jump in and do things like what Dory does. You know, she just jumps in and does stuff. And sometimes things work out and sometimes they get in messes, but overall they end up getting closer to their goal. Um, that you have to move in some way. Um, and if you don't know which way to go, you just have to do something. Um, and I think that's really illustrated again in the scene where they're, they're swimming around, everything's kind of murky and they can't really, they're in the deep wide ocean, they can't really see anything. There's no landmarks or anything to go off of and they're just trying to swim in the direction that they generally assume is Sydney. Mm-hmm. And they're obviously lost. So Dory starts looking around for somebody to ask for help. And you know, Marlin gets all defensive, like, oh, no, you can't do that. We don't know who they are. They might be somebody bad. Um, they might try to eat us. And Dory's <laughs> like, well, we're lost, so we have to do something. And I think that's a really good lesson to teach, especially as, as a culture, we move more and more towards um, security at all costs, yeah. And and this whole kind of sense of immobility of, of you don't take risks. And I think this is a really good lesson in you have to sometimes take a risk. Sometimes you can't just be inactive. No, I think that's very true. And maybe it's just because of a lot of the things that are going on in the world in, in general, culturally, that it it's kind of stuck out more and things are going on in my life more that just kind of made it stick out to me. But um, I thought that was a really good reminder, at least for me. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And, and, you know, we're, it's uh what December of 2020. So there's, you know, we're, we're dealing with the, the coronavirus that continues going on and there's an election that just happened and who knows what's going on where with, right. All these things that are happening, and, and I know there, there are a lot of people that can be paralyzed by fear, by indecision. And I, I think that that lesson from Dory is very important. Like, no, you, you, sometimes you just have to do something and it might end up that that something was the wrong choice, but you know how you're going to know that you did it and you realized it was the wrong choice. So you, so you go make another choice. Yeah. And, and realizing that it's okay to sometimes make mistakes. Yeah. And that sometimes just bad things in life happen. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of life. And I think it's a really good, uh, I don't know, post-millennial philosophy of just life. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah, yeah, the world is a dangerous place, but there's also some good people in it. And if you want to get towards your goal, you just have to do something. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. Uh, so let's move on here. So worthless ideas. I, I couldn't think of anything that, that, that was an idea that this movie is trying to present that wasn't good. And I don't know, maybe I'm blind and our listeners are now throwing things at me because, <laughs> because I, you know, I missed the big thing. And we're going to get hate mail, but you know, that's okay. Send, send me your hate mail. I'm, I'm interested to know why this movie is worthless. Uh, I couldn't think of anything. Did, did you come up with anything? I mean, this is kind of going back to something I kind of talked about earlier, which is the whole kind of like that man's intervention in nature is always bad. Ah, and that's kind of an underlying current in the movie that I think is false. I think that, there are certainly ways in which mankind can be better stewards of nature that we can take better care of things. But I don't think that means that we take an inactive role in the world. And that's really kind of coming from a very Judeo Christian perspective on man's purpose on earth Mm -hmm. as a species that we're not just supposed to do nothing um, <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to take care of things, but that means taking care of things. 
Well, and that means that one, we're not a parasite that's that's here only to uh, to take resources and destroy the thing that we're living on, which humans are pretty good at doing that. But that do- also doesn't mean that we're supposed to be totally removed from the situation. And if we could just, you know, kill off all humans, then the earth will be a good place again. There's there's somewhere between those two extremes that humans are supposed to exist where Yes, they take care of things and they take care of nature and animals and they are superior to them, but also they don't screw everything up. Like there's there's a balance in there somewhere. Right. And the idea is that we're not predators. Right. We're yeah. not just here to consume and devour as much as we can. You know, we're not like like weasels or barracudas or something that's just gonna eat whatever's available. We're not supposed to just use up every resource there. Um, we're supposed yeah. to be farmers. We're supposed to plant things. We're supposed to be patient and take things when they can be taken and not when it destroys. Yeah. But that's a subtle idea to try to throw into a children's movie about talking fish. No, but that's but that's where a lot of those ideas originate from is from from just that just that little little tidbit of an idea that hey remember that movie all of the humans were bad so we need to fix all of the humans so i think i think that's a i think that's a a valuable point to bring up so i'm glad i'm glad that you noticed that (laughs) that's what i'm here for (laughs) cool cool be the party pessimist at least well that's good you get the next one <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk about some conversation starters. Uh, this is something we did first in our last episode, and I think I really liked it. So, so these are some of the questions that I think I could ask my children after watching this movie that get them thinking along the lines of these ideas. So, uh, the first one I I thought of is: Does Marlin trust Nemo at the start of the movie? Does he trust anyone? And when and why does he learn to start trusting other? fish or creatures because that's part of that's part of marlin's growth throughout the movie you talked about marlin growing is that at the beginning he doesn't trust nemo at all he doesn't trust dory he doesn't trust the turtles there's just there's no one there's nothing that he trusts and in the by the end of the movie nemo nemo says no dad just trust me i i can do this and marlin says all right i trust you here we go and and i i think that's a valuable question to bring up is does he tr- does Marlin trust anyone and when does he start? So that's one question I had. Uh, another question I had is uh, what does Nemo learn about himself in the fish tank from Gil? Because I think uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, you were saying that, you know, all of the all of the other fish kind of treat him as a normal fish. I- I'm not quite sure that's totally right, because in the fish tank, Gil is treating Nemo as if he's a, t- a fully capable fish. And, and then, and all the other fish are like, but, but Gil, he's just a child. He has a bum fin. He can't do these things. Mm. And Gil's like, nah, nah, he's, he's good. He's good. I have a bum fin too, and I'm still alive. He'll be fine. So I think that's another question you can ask the kids to, to get them thinking about, well, what does Nemo learn about himself? So those are the questions or the conversation starters that I, I thought of. Did you have any no, I think those are great ones um, just to kind of get people thinking about what are impactful moments in the movie. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that then. Uh, what, what are the most impactful moments of this movie? What, what are some that, that you can think of off the top of your head? There's so many good ones in there. <laughs> it's, it's a really pretty fast paced movie. I feel like there's so many scenes in that movie of just different things happening. Yeah. It's a real whirlwind of a movie from start to finish. It really is. It is. Well, so some of the scenes that I thought were most impactful is when when Nemo fails at at uh, dirtying the fish tank or, or clogging the filter. Sorry, he fails at clogging the filter, and then he goes back and he does it. I think that is a that's super impactful because Nemo realizes that yes, I am a fully capable fish and I can do things I set my mind to. I just have to do them. So I think that's a, I think that's a super impactful moment. Uh, another one that I think shows Marlin's growth throughout the movie is he kind of cons. Well, 
so they so they get the directions from the school of fish and the school of fish tells dory to not go over the thing but through the thing and and marlin's like whoa it looks scary and dory says well but but i have a gut feeling that we should go through and marlin says nope we're going over so they go over and they meet the jellies and they get zapped and marlin kind of cons dory into racing through while he gets through and Dory's left behind. And so then Mar Marlin dives back into the jellies to go save her. And I think that shows some character growth in Marlin is that, yes, he doesn't like Dory. We know it. He's been he's been ragging on her this whole time. And yet he's willing to risk himself and his mission and everything else because because he needs to go save her. Because, like we talked about earlier, everyone has value and she has value and he's not willing to let her die or be eaten by the jellies. So he goes back to save her and pull her out. And I think that's a hugely impactful moment in the film in, in that it shows Marlon's growth and his character in, in that moment. Yeah, that's a really good one. One of the ones that was just like really kind of uplifting for me was um, when there's just kind of sequence where the story about Nemo's dad coming to rescue him kind of goes its way to the grapevine and it finally ends up uh, making its way to Nemo. And the pelican comes in the window and says, oh, hey, did you hear about your dad's coming to get you? And that's just such a great um, kind of break in the movie that's just like so good. Um, and you can really see the pride that he has in like, oh, my dad actually did that. Wow, he's mm -hmm. not no, lame after all. And so we kind of get this kind of partial development of their characters right there. Yeah, definitely like kind of the saddest, the worst scene in that sense um, is when Marlon leaves Dory. Yeah, and he just kind of wanders off basically to go die. And um, and yeah, it's just like how selfish, how awful. And well, and yet at the same time, I understand where he's coming from. And and I think we've talked about this before is I can find myself getting into a depressed state relatively easily if I'm not careful about my emotions. Uh, and and so I, I as I was watching this, he he made it to that point and I was like, oh, I totally get it. That sucks. Life sucks. I'm just I want to be done. I want to be done with all of this. I, so I can I can understand where he's at there. And you're right. That is a. That is a hugely impactful moment because he is willing to throw away everything. Uh, uh, the exact opposite of where he was when he saved Dory from the, from the jellies, he's now willing to throw everything away because he just doesn't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a hugely impactful scene. Wow. All right. Well, let's take a, uh, now that, now that we've uh, gotten real serious, <laughs> let's take a short break and then we'll come back in a second. We'll talk about uh, some, some fun things and, and we'll laugh at some stuff in this movie. Cause, cause there's some, there's some goofy stuff in here. I know we talk about movies here, but something that's also important as parents is spending quality time away from screens, which is something that can be difficult. So I'm really excited to bring you rooted childhood. So each month of rooted childhood offers a curated set of stories poetry, books, and eight simple handicraft projects, along with a detailed supply list, video tutorials, and beautiful photos for inspiration. Now, Rooted Childhood will help you spend quality time with your children instead of spending that time coming up with the next activity to do. This is something that my wife has used in the past when life just comes at us too fast and we need some help to figure out the right things to do with our kids. And it's been awesome. So if you're interested in finding out more about Rooted Childhood, Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to check it out for yourself and to start exploring all the things that you can do with your children. All right. So I, one of the things we like to do is talk about what's aged the best and what's aged the worst. And, you know, outside of the big ideas here, we've talked about those enough. So some of the things I thought have aged the best here is, yes, disability shouldn't stop people from doing things. But also dentists offices are scary places. <laughs> I, I think that. That's an idea that, or that's a, that's a concept that has just, it's aged like a fine wine. Dentist's offices are scary and this movie perfectly depicts why. So that's what I got. 
I was impressed um, by the visuals. I think it's yeah. really been, you know, we've talked about a lot of these other kind of previous movies and, and what was kind of like the thing that um, was kind of new or different here. And there's no one particular kind of standout thing about Finding Nemo that makes it just visually better than, say, Monsters, Inc. Um, it's not like, oh, well, you know, this particular thing was just rendered so well. And, you know, they finally figured out the physics of X, Y, or Z. But just like mm-hmm. as a whole, it looks really good. It does. Um, just like all the pieces come together well. You know, the kind of the particle physics of water and the, the kind of texturing of the scales and the way things move and um, how sometimes it's murky and sometimes it's dark and all that stuff just works well together. It's just the whole kit and caboodle that really makes it work. Um, yeah. Really, you know, reading about that review where he just said it was visually so, so artistically appealing. I get it because in a lot of ways it was very well done. Still very cartoony, absolutely cartoony, but yeah, visually stunning. I think you're right. I think that I think the the animation in this movie, just like all of the other Pixar movies, has aged really beautifully. And I think if you were to if you would make this movie now, it might look cleaner a little bit. But then I I don't I don't really know. I don't know if if it would have. So uh, let's talk about then what's aged the worst. Uh, doting uncles is what I'm going to say because the dentist as an uncle. Like he clearly loves fish, but doesn't realize that his niece kills fish. I don't know. Is 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 her, is she his niece? I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird, but you know what? We have we have to have some kind of a dangerous premise in there. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this guy who you know he saved Nemo from from the dangerous reef. He's now going to give him to give Nemo to his niece, who's going to then kill Nemo. And like, there's, there's a series of pictures of her with a dead fish. And it's like, really guy? Like, really? So doting uncles, that's, uh, that has not aged well. No, <laughs> not even once. <laughs> uh, that's all I got though. I couldn't think oh, of anything stupid else. stupid songs. What's, what songs? Oh, like all the songs that Dory sings. Oh my gosh. Like, oh my gosh. Uh-huh. It's so obnoxious. I yeah. will say this is the I have saying of having your kids watch this movie is they'll just walk around saying like just keep swimming or whatever other stupid stuff it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I've I've I, said that running I, up and down running up and down an ultimate frisbee field though before because at some points it feels like it's not just no, just keep running. Just keep running. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. No, that's you're you're right. They mm-hmm. Yeah, Dory's Dory's songs have have uh they they aged poorly the instant she sang them. Yes. <laughs> it's just like that's oh no. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. All right, so let's uh let's nitpick this movie for a sec. Um fish apparently in, in this universe have eyes on the front of their heads, even though uh that's not real, so that's that's kind of a thing. Um, I, I'm they they use their flippers in weird ways and and it doesn't seem anatomical sometimes like yeah like I've seen fish pick things up with their mouths I've never seen a fish pick something up with its fins well and even but then, I guess it makes Mar- more sense in a movie because then they can still say their lines well yeah I guess if you have to hold the script or something. But but it, Marlin picks up the the fish egg Nemo the Nemo fish egg at some point and I just like physically his limbs his his fins aren't long enough to do that. It's, oh, you're right because they're like short and by his side. So how would they reach in front to hold the egg in front of its face? Uh huh. Yeah. All right. That's. Uh huh. That's a stretch. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Yeah, uh, as as well as the animators did with anatomically correct fish, they they uh, they extended those flippers way too far. Yeah, speaking of anatomically correct fish, you know what the short tentacle on an octopus is for? Uh, not off the top of my head. It's not for grabbing things. Huh. I'm assuming you're going making babies. Yeah. 
Hmm. Well, that's interesting. That's a kind of an adult joke, but. <laughs> oh, that. Wow. That's one. I didn't even know that. That <laughs> that has a whole new level of. Uh, yeah. The the little octopus. Uh-huh. The dude. Nice. Well, all right, then. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can edit that out if you want. I might. I might not. We'll see. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Well, that really well, bothered in this movie, and it bothers me in like all kinds of anthropomorphic movies. Is like, what do they eat? <laughs> like, vast, vast majority of fish eat other fish. Uh huh. Or possibly like plankton and shrimps and stuff like that. Like that's kind of what anemones eat or uh, sorry, clownfish, but the vast, vast majority of fish eat other fish, other fish. Yeah. The whole idea of like sharks being vegetarian is just like conceptually. It's so broken. broken. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's Oh man. Like it's funny, but it's also just like, so what do you eat? Yeah. I, I, Nemo is friends with a plankton. And, and, and I'm just kind of going yeah. like, okay, so we don't even eat plankton or now we're, oh boy. It's, it's not Discovery Channel. <laughs> no. It is no. Not. Yeah. So that kind of bugged me. <laughs> yeah. I could believe that. I could believe that. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. I, uh, even even any like plot unanswerable questions. There's there's some there's some goofiness in this plot, but eh, so I was always I always wondered did Dory actually talk to the whale or was it just kind of a lucky coincidence? Right, like oh. how much of that was actually like purposeful stuff? Did the whale actually intend to swallow them and spit them up in Sydney Harbor, or did they just get lucky? And I think that's one of those things that I like pondering about movies. Huh. I like a few mysteries where I'm just kind of like, huh, I wonder. Like, there's enough information there to say yes, but it's not conclusive. Well, so if you go and look up the Pixar theory of movies, uh, which, again, I can't remember the guy that, that does that. But anyway, uh, his impression is that at this point in life, Fish are becoming intelligent. Animals are becoming uh, non-human things are becoming intelligent. <laughs> All <Gosh>. stuff. <laughs> right. So the toys in Toy Story are starting to become intelligent. The fish are becoming intelligent. They're creating relationships with other things. Fish are friends with sharks. Fish are friends with with pelicans. Pelicans obviously eat fish and the pelican and the fish both know it and they're OK with it. I know. So it's like a, it's like a kind of a, a sidebar thing, but I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that one makes me laugh every time. Friend. <laughs> yeah, that one's a little goofy. Um, but anyway, so so this guy says that well, one of the indicators we see is that Dory is very smart. She can read, and she's obviously learned how to talk with whales. So like Dory is the most advanced fish of all of the fishdom. And that's one of the reasons she has short-term memory loss is because she's advancing so rapidly. Her, her evolution is, is bonkers or something. So now I go with that. I mean, still it works. I mean, what they eat. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't, but that's all right. I think we can, I think we can move on and, and leave it be. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about some warnings real quick. So the first scene is very stressful or, or it was very stressful for my children. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I told you the first time we watched it that we just skipped right over that scene and dove right in where Nemo is uh, a child, an only child with with Marlon as his only dad. So I guess only dad is kind of redundant, but we're going to go with it. So you can do that. And it really doesn't take out anything in the movie. Now, there are a lot of jump scares in the movie. There's the shark shows up and that's a jump scare. And literally my daughter who is sitting in my lap, she jumped out of her seat. 
because uh, she was shocked and then she was like shaking and stuff. I know she's she's a little bit of an overreactor, so you know, take it for what it's worth. But there are some jump scares like that, like the the fish with the light bulb. Uh, so if your if your kids are very sensitive to that, that's a that's a thing that happens. I couldn't. I I thought I was thinking about language and name calling, and and all of the Pixar movies we've reviewed so far have had some. I couldn't think of any in this movie. It, nope. It seemed really clear. Well, good. I'm not. I'm glad I didn't just like completely miss something. Uh, apparently there is sexual content with the short. The short tentacle, but I guess if you don't know that, then there is none. Yeah, nobody's um, uh, nobody's getting that one without some deep deep diving. Yeah, unless your kids watch the Discovery Channel all the time, and oof. yeah, and then they know all kinds of good stuff after dark. But anyway, hmm, hmm, that'd be interesting. Uh, and then I don't think there were any substances in this movie, even even like the bugs that were drinking at a bar. Like there was nothing. So. So really, true. really absolutely none whatsoever. Yeah. I don't even think the dentist gives him laughing gas. Uh, they talk about, oh, they talk about the dentist giving him Novocaine and, and uh, he's asking him if it's kicked in yet. Yep. That's but I right. think that's it. Oh my goodness. The scenes where they're talking about what the dentist is doing. Oh, it's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the fact the the two fish that are arguing about the instrument he's using. Yeah. <laughs> it's obviously yeah. correct. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely one of the best scenes. All right. Well, any last movies before we call it here? Uh, you know what? I think I think I thought thunk my thoughts. Cool. I don't I don't have any more. My brain's empty at this point. Cool. Well, hey, to our listeners, thank you for hanging out with us and listening to us this whole time. Uh, if you want to, you can certainly help us out by going and uh, subscribing to our podcast on on whatever platform you use. You can comment on that platform and give us a rating, especially if you're on iTunes. You can write a review and give us a five-star rating because, you know, clearly why else would you give any other star rating? Because we're awesome. Um, so if you want to connect with us, you can connect with us on Twitter. We are at Living Movies Pod. So reach out to us there if you want. And like I've been saying for the last any number of times, we have an email address. I'm sure I'm going to put it on a stinger at the end of this, but... I still don't know because I'm lazy and haven't figured it out yet. So that's where we're at. Uh, thank you guys for listening to us. Jared, thanks for sitting down with me again and talking about this movie. I really enjoyed it. 